earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends, and thank you for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today is part 16 in our current series, The Acts of the Resurrection Life. And if you've missed any parts, the podcasts can be freely accessed at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu icon for local program podcasts. Our title today, Parting is Such Sweet Sorrow, brings us to Acts chapter 20, as we continue our thematic journey through the book of Acts, tracing the manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit in the day-to-day lives and ministries of the followers of Jesus. But before we dip into chapter 20, I'd like to tell you about an East Coast phenomenon that took some time to unravel. Those of you who know me well know that I'm from back east, and by that I mean the real back east, as in New Jersey, one of the easternmost states in the United States. And it just so happens that in the northeastern United States, codfish and codfishing are a big commercial business. In fact, friends, the codfish business is so big that there's been a market for eastern cod across the country, even as far as the west coast. But a challenge quickly emerged when this business began booming because the public demand for eastern codfish posed an insurmountable problem for distributors. You see, at first they tried freezing the fish and shipping them frozen out of state. But freezing cod took away much of its flavor. After that idea flopped, they tried shipping cod alive in large tanks of seawater. But this turned out worse than freezing. Not only was it more expensive, but the cod still lost its flavor, and on top of that, the fish became soft and mushy, and their texture was seriously affected. Finally, sometime after trying these options, as the old adage goes, necessity is the mother of invention, a creative genius solved the distribution problem in a very innovative way. He suggested that the cod still be shipped in large seawater tanks, but this time they added in the cod's natural enemy, a catfish. And amazingly, thing resulted from the time the cod left the East Coast until it arrived at its westernmost destination, those ornery catfish chased the cod all over the tank. And guess what, friends? When the cod arrived at the market, they were as fresh as when they were first caught. No loss of flavor, and the texture was not affected. In fact, it was better tasting than before. Well-loved pastor Chuck Swindoll made an insightful observation and spiritual parallel between the codfish in those tanks and our Christian life. He noted that our Christian lives are chock full of times when we're in a tank of particular and inescapable circumstances. Swindoll says that while it's painful enough to be stuck in the tank, 
Yet there are God-appointed catfish that bring sufficient tension that keep us alive, alert, fresh, and growing. He then adds, it's all part of God's project to shape our character. Why? So we will be more like God's son. Well, Swindoll then concluded with two challenging observations on our part. First, understand why the catfish are in your tank. And second, understand that they are part of God's method of producing character in your life and mine. Well, friends, I can't think of a person who had more catfish in his life and ministry than the Apostle Paul. In fact, it's an incredibly eye-opening and rewarding exercise to go back through the book of Acts from chapter 13 on and review Paul's experiences of opposition and persecution to see what lessons there are for us. Additionally, it would also be a rewarding reading experience to take a journey through Paul's letters and notice his challenging life experiences during his missionary escapades around the empire. Now, this would be a longer assignment, of course, but well worth going through parts of Romans, 2 Corinthians, and Philippians. Friends, why not make these books you're reading over the next few months? The goal being to pick out the references to the catfish in Paul's life. And while you're doing that, why not turn Chuck Swindoll's observations around into a few vital questions for yourselves, like... Who or what are the catfish in my tank right now? And why are they in my life at this particular point? Since these catfish are part of God's method of producing character in my life, what character traits is God trying to produce in me? And how am I doing dealing with my catfish? Well, friends, let's turn to Acts chapter 20 and see what awaits us, okay? The bulk of chapter 20 is actually Paul's farewell discourse to the elders of the Christian communities in Ephesus. Remember, last time we left off with Paul and his missionary companions in Ephesus, where a riot broke out over the goddess Artemis. You might even recall that the silversmiths, the craftsmen, and the workers in various related trades were in an uproar because they saw the gospel robbing Artemis of her divine majesty and robbing them of their lucrative business. In their minds, Paul's gospel message was leading the pagans astray to a foreign belief system. Well, the mob that assembled finally quieted down, and Paul was able to meet with the Christ followers there and encourage them. But he then set out to continue his journeys through the Macedonian region and encourage the believers in those communities, as was his custom. While making this circuit, Paul finally arrived back in Greece some believe, to the city of Corinth, where he stayed three months. And here come the catfish. More opposition. Paul suddenly learned of a plot against his life by the Jews, and he was preparing to sail to Syria. So he was forced to take a land route back through the Macedonian region and stopped in the city of Troas for a brief time. Paul's burning desire was to get to Jerusalem for the Feast of Harvest, or First Fruits. We're probably more familiar with the term Pentecost. Ultimately, Paul had his sights set on Rome, the capital city of the empire, in order to bring the gospel there. Now, one event chapter 20 illuminates us to is the night Paul was fellowshipping with and teaching a group of people until midnight. 
that this was because he intended to leave the next day. You probably remember this story. It's recorded in verses 7 through 12. And it's the story of a man named Eutychus, who was seated in a window on the third story, listening to Paul's message. Eutychus happened to fall into a deep sleep and fell out the window, hit the ground, and died on the spot. Now, friends, a cursory reading of the story might lead us to think that Eutychus fell asleep because Paul was long-winded. But there's actually a textual hint here that suggests another, more probable reason. And friends, here's where a first-century phenomenon contributes to arriving at a better interpretation. Chapter 20, verse 8 informs us that there were many lamps in the stairs up where they were meeting. Now, we all know that the use of our English word lamps here does not refer to electric lights, so let's put on first-century sandals and investigate the common source of light in those days. Typically, small clay jar-like lamps filled with olive oil were lit to provide light. But these types of lamps also created fumes, and aside from sucking oxygen out of the air, the fumes tended to make people drowsy. I'm only saying this so that we don't pull off, put all the blame on a long-winded preacher. But the good news on this occasion, friends, was that Paul went downstairs and outside, laid on this young man, wrapped his arms around him, and he came back to life, obviously by the power of the Holy Spirit. If this were a secular story, it might be concluded that a good time was had by all. They went back upstairs, ate a meal together, and the next day some people took Eutychus home alive, and they were all greatly comforted. Maybe a good time was had by all. Well, friends, as planned, Paul left the believers, and those in his troop boarded a ship and began sailing to Asos. But Paul chose to walk part way by foot. At Asos, however, he boarded their ship, and they resumed their journey, sailing to various locations, ending up in Miletus, and bypassing Ephesus. Verse 16 informs us that Paul chose to sail past Ephesus, limiting his time in the province of Asia, because he was determined to hurry up and get to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. Now, curiously, Luke doesn't give us any information as to why Paul chose to walk part of the way while his traveling companions rode in the ship. So, naturally, some speculate why Paul walked the 20 miles on foot. Some suggest he wanted to squeeze in as much time as he could with the believers on the way. Others propose that he might have wanted to spend some time alone with the Lord as he walked. I guess we'll have to ask him when we see him in heaven. No reason is also given as to why he chose to bypass Ephesus on this leg of the journey. Some speculate that maybe he didn't want to show his face in Ephesus due to the last riot that erupted there. Recall the trade guilds were in a tizzy because Paul was exercising demons from those practicing sorcery and diminishing the lucrative business of the craftsmen who made idols. So, from Miletus, Paul summoned the believing elders from the fellowships in Ephesus and had a powwow with them. Now, Paul's farewell address is recorded in verses 17 to 37, the end of chapter 20. Friends, this is an amazing farewell. It actually brings tears to my eyes every time I read it. We sometimes have a misperception of the Apostle Paul, thinking he was a driven, thick-skinned, cerebral, egghead intellectual type. 
After all, he was schooled under Rabbi Gamaliel, and in Tarsus, his home city, likely attended the best Greek school, since he was very well acquainted with the Greek literary greats. But here, in Acts 20, we see a tender, affectionate apostle, and see a side of him not usually revealed. Paul's not larger than life at all. He's an ordinary person, just like you and me. An ordinary person through whom God does extraordinary things. Paul is a servant of God, wholly yielded to fulfilling the kingdom's work, no matter what befell him. In other words, no matter how many catfish swirled around in his tank. Friends, just listen to this brief portion in verses 20 through 24, where he confides in the elders regarding the fate that awaits him. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life as nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Wow, friends, no wonder parting was such sweet sorrow. Paul was sorrowful over the fact that he would likely never see these Christians again. And it's quite possible he was sorrowing over the news from the Holy Spirit that prison, hardships, and suffering were awaiting him. He may even have realized that his execution was near for preaching the gospel. Friends, let's get another glimpse of the heart of Paul here in chapter 20. Not only was Paul an apostle and a missionary, but he possessed the heart of a caring shepherd. So his farewell discourse to these elders continues in verse 25 and following. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will or counsel of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. They accompanied him to the ship. Wow, what a farewell address, huh, friends? 
Now you know why I decided to call this installment Parting is Such Sweet Sorrow. But even in the midst of this emotionally draining farewell, we don't want to miss some of the things we learn about the Apostle Paul in Acts 20. Here are a few things I noticed. First, Paul relied on the power of the Holy Spirit to persevere through troubles and or opposition for the sake of the gospel. In other words, he was willing to battle through the catfish. Second, despite the opposition and persecution, Paul faithfully served his Messiah and Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And third, Paul's heart of concern, not only as a missionary evangelist, but as a shepherd, is displayed openly as he expresses his concern and counsel regarding the false teachers he feared would arise after his departure. Additionally, friends, I want us to see that Paul's farewell address demonstrated his own faithfulness, first to the gospel message and mission, as seen in verse 21. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Second, Paul was faithful with the gospel message, in other words, with spreading it, as seen in verse 24. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And third, Paul was faithful in spite of the gospel message. In other words, in spite of the fact that proclaiming this message might bring hardships and trials, as seen in verses 22 and 23. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Friends, this leaves us with some challenging questions that parallel what we just concluded about the Apostle Paul. First, are we faithful to the message of the gospel? In other words, do we know it well enough to articulate it to others in a way they can understand? And do we know it well enough to discern truth from error? And can we spot false teachings? Second, are we faithful with the message of the gospel? In other words, how are we doing with sharing our faith with others? And do we honestly believe we have the power of the Holy Spirit? And does that belief give us boldness and fearlessness to spread the message? And third, are we faithful in spite of the message of the gospel? In other words, how are we handling persecution and trials? Are we looking for the bigger picture? Do we sense the greater plan of God in all we are going through? How about this question? Do our trials and hard times serve to testify of God's grace to people around us? Do they see us reacting just like everyone else? Or do we react in a way becoming of our testimony to the power of God in our lives? That being the power of the Holy Spirit. I find it amazing, friends, and maybe you will too, that the Apostle Paul never once said, Woe is me! So, I'd like to give you a foretaste of one scripture portion in a book that I mentioned earlier, 2 Corinthians. This is 2 Corinthians 11, verses 21 through 33. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. 
I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? If I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Feeling bad about yourself, friends? Feeling down? Well, keep this portion bookmarked and read it when you feel like you're going through a trial or two. It should snap you right out of it. And I suppose now would be a good time to list for you some of the New Testament books where you can find Paul's escapades in the empire that call attention to his catfish. Earlier I mentioned retracing his steps and acts. So check out chapters 13 through 16, then 19 through the end of Acts. Romans chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapters 4, 6, 7, and 11, and Philippians chapter 3. In my estimation, friends, these portions of Scripture would serve as the minimum daily requirement for a healthy self-check when we're going through trials, or we feel like saying, Woe is me! Well, friends, allow me to close out our lesson for today with an apropos story. This occurred in a lumber mill region where a vacationer was watching with curiosity as a lumberman actually jabbed a sharp hook a log and separated out from the other logs that were floating down a mountain stream. His curiosity was piqued to the point of prompting him to ask the lumberman why he was doing that. So the worker replied, These logs may all look the same, but a few of them are quite different. The ones I let pass are from trees that grew in a valley where they were always protected from the storms. Their grain is coarse, but the ones I hook and keep separated from the rest are from trees high up in the mountain. From that time they were small, they were beaten by strong winds. Those beatings toughened them and have given them a fine and beautiful grain. We save them for choice work. They're too good to make into just plain lumber. Hmm, I don't think I have to draw out the spiritual parallel here, do I, friends? Amen? Amen. Well, friends, I can see we're nearing the end of our program. Today's broadcast will be closing with an email where you may write me. I'd love to hear your feedback on these teachings and what they mean to you. 
A listener recently wrote in with reference to part 12, the segment on Acts chapter 15, and the key meeting of the Jerusalem Council, sharing, Great message. It's nice to know that some meetings have a purpose that makes sense. LOL. Blessings and thanks. Well, thank you for the encouraging feedback. And please remember, friends, all of the podcasts of A Word from the Word are freely accessible at faithtalk1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Additionally, the podcasts are freely available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Feel free to share these podcasts with family or friends who may be touched, blessed, or even challenged by these teachings. And friends, A Word from the Word is now being rebroadcast weekly at christianbody.net. Just check out christianbody.net for their program schedule. And keep in mind, friends, that A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. So if it's blessing you or edifying you, please join the support team. Faithful supporters like you, with your sacrificial generosity, are helping to keep this program on the air. Just write me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the word friends if you would like to let pastor tom know what this program has meant to you email him at a word from the word at minister.com that's a word from the word at minister.com